Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Isaiah, chapter 1. We've been talking over the last weeks. Um, a message entitled, Soul Willingness. It really comes from the idea that while God is all-powerful and, and certainly sovereign and whatever else you want to, uh, uh, attributes you want to put on him, you, you can never over-exaggerate the person of Jesus. But um, he needs us to cooperate. And in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 that we are co-laborers with him. And so we need to find that, and it takes willingness. And so that's where we are. Let's pray together. Isaiah 119. Father, we thank you today for this time. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Teach us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read our scripture. This is really the, this is really the process that we've, we've been under here. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Remember that obedience is the opposite obviously of disobedience but we have difficulty defining willingness and specifically what the opposite is the opposite of of willingness is rebellion if you're not willing and remember we we define willingness as that 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 positive inclination towards authority positive willingness is not tested in a vacuum it's tested in relationship to submitted authority if you're not willing to do something then you could possibly be in rebellion towards the authority that is over you in that area and it's, it's, a, it's kind of a dicey deal, and, and you've got to think that through, because occasionally what happens is that we become rebellious to truth, that what God has called us to do and the truth He's given us. You can't believe the number of times that, that, that in a heated conversation, specifically in counseling, where someone has said to me, well, that's okay for you, Pastor, but I just don't believe what the Bible says. Well, Okay. I mean, why are you here? And, and so, see, rebellion is tested in the laboratory of authority. And if you, if you, if you don't get this, if you don't, if you don't process this, then you'll only be willing when you want to, and you'll take the, 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 the authority out of the picture, and you won't think that that has any bearing on anything. But if I told you that next week... The Lord said, now he's not going to say something like this, but if I, if I said to you, the Lord said everybody needs to wear yellow socks next week, okay? You, you would have the opportunity to, to see your willingness under a picture of authority. You say, well, you're not my authority. Exactly. Once you enter into a relationship in a church, the under-shepherd of that guy who runs the place right? If this is God's deal, if Jesus is the head of the church, he works through under shepherds. Now, I'm not saying you have to do everything that I say. I'm just trying to get you to understand that occasionally what happens here is that, that willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. It makes, it's so important 
I'm just telling you right now, there are some things I'm just willing. And then there are other things that just kind of bow me just a little bit. You have some of those things where you just kind of, how many of you are not willing to stand in line? See, the authority of, of, of social kind of rightness or however you need to see that, Right? How many of you know that, that sometime in kindergarten or sometime in first grade, somebody taught you not to cut in line? Right? There's actually an authority in society. There's, there's, there's decorum in society. It's actually against the law to run into a crowded building and yell fire. Unless there's fire. Right? How many of you know that, that your religious prayers that you think are subject to God will be changed when the authority of the situation is changed? Given the opportunity to think about stuff, most of us pray really religiously. I've actually heard people pray in King James language as if that was God's original language. Thou dost know. But when the authority of the situation changes, your prayer will change. Come on, track with me. If you're in a tough situation, you don't pray big, long prayers. Help is about all that's necessary. Your willingness to communicate is largely influenced by the authority of the situation you're in. Are we all tracking together? How many of you are willing to let God inspect your willingness? Where he puts his finger on your heart and says, you need to pay attention to this. I've known so many people who were unwilling to have their willingness tested. Did you know that in many churches, if you change anything, that you're tempting someone to leave your church? Change the color of the bathroom. Put new carpet down. Move something. Dear God, don't move anything. We had a a, a late wedding one time years ago in this church. And so instead of staying late, we just left the chairs. We we do a center aisle in big weddings. We'll do a center aisle. We can get about 300 chairs in here. And so we had a big old six-foot center aisle in here. We didn't change it after the wedding on late Saturday night. Everybody, without fail, stopped at those double doors and went... And looked around. You should see your faces. If somebody gets here early and sits in your designated chair, the chair that you believe you own. See, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. You think everybody knows that's your chair. We were in Cincinnati, Ohio. Actually, it was a town in, in, in northern Kentucky where we decided to go to church. By the way, this was a church that Eddie, Larissa's Eddie, went to church at. It was, his, it was, it was Clady, Clady, whatever his name was, o- older guy. Remember this? Donnie was with me. Huh? Anyway, that church. And I'm pretty sure we got there early and we sat down. Here came this woman. And we were in the second or third row, and she stood right there and introduced herself. And, and after I got to thinking about it, I, th- I said to myself, we sat in her chair. 
See, she was just hovering around thinking, well, maybe they'll move over so I can sit in my chair because God won't show up unless it... Will I end up being, I'm just, I, I just try and give you as many examples as I can. Now, notice what it says. We're going we're to move into the, a, another avenue of this. Notice it says that if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. That idea behind good is this picture of desirability for enjoyment. Now, you're going to have to process this a little bit because many times what people believe is that God isn't doing anything for you to make life good. If you don't understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life with which there is no shadow of turning, then, then, and, and understand the shadow of turning thing, the, the, the glory, the brightness of God is so significant that there's no way to cast a shadow. What it means is it literally never changes. So God from the beginning began to establish his approach to us through this picture of good and perfect. Now, if you're not willing to see what God is doing as good and perfect, you'll never eat of the good. Does that make sense? If you don't expect some level of desirability towards enjoyment, and listen, you may have to change your definition of enjoyment. I've never had more fun in all my life than I'm having right now. I'm serious. It is the greatest thing to serve God for a long time. Because you get a relationship of, 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 of experimentation of enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy serving Him. Think of it this way. When God sent Jesus, the Bible says He so loved that He gave. He supplied, literally, He gave to you for your spiritual enjoyment. That's the good of the land in every aspect. So first of all, we have to see that God wants to do this. Now here's the secondary definitions. It literally refers to items of superior quality or the state of spiritual blessing. When He says good, biblically, He's talking about this state that you're in of spiritual blessing. Can we at least begin to process that what God wants to do for us, through us, in us, is for our spiritual goodness? If He points out to you that you need to quit doing something, right? If you need to change the way you live, He's not doing it to take your enjoyability away. The number of people that I've talked with after getting saved, they think God's going to take all the fun out of life. Can I point out to you that my experience previous to Jesus Christ of fun ended up not being so fun? If you've ever indulged in anything, come on, how many of you over, and it's been fairly close to Thanksgiving, how many can you remember that you ate too much? How many of you have an uncle or a or, or, or dad or somebody who, who sits down at the table, they eat too much, and they bend back like this, and they unloosen their belt one notch? And they sit like this, going, yep, it was a good meal. Well, certain ages, all of a sudden you overeat, what happens to you? You're miserable. You can't go to sleep. You have indigestion. You say, why does God do that? Are you kidding me? You did this. 
Now, I can touch on these other things. I mean, I know that probably I'm in a room full of people who have at least tried some sort of uh, mind-altering, intoxicating liquor and or drugs or whatever. I used to have a guy in jail all the time. He wanted laws to be changed because what he liked to do was against the law. About every six months, he was in jail for six weeks. Duh. And of course, <laughs> he'd always tell, tell me, he'd grab me by, right here by the arm before he'd leave. And he'd grab, he says, you know, Pastor. And he talked. He talked like a comedy for this is what drugs does to your head. Okay? he go, yeah, you know, Pastor. Drugs never hurt nobody. Looks like it hurt you. (laughs) My point is not that God's trying to take your enjoyment away. He's trying to adjust your understanding of enjoyment. Tracy and I went this week, based on you all's uh, generosity, and had a five or seven minute private as private as you can be in a small room with about 20 people, um, meeting with Franklin Graham. And I told you I had questions for him, but last week many of you said to Tracy or to me that you'd heard the story about the ambulances in Israel. So I couldn't ask my question. I had to ask your question. It was a great question. Tracy's standing there, and she, she looks up at Franklin, and she says, so just tell us the story of the ambulances. How in the world did you do that? Now listen, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. He was invited over there by the prime minister of Israel, Mr. Netanyahu, met with him. Netanyahu had him meet with the nation's uh, uh, control of the medical ambulance services. Okay? He says, you're going to meet this guy. And so he anyway, meets with that guy and the guy says, we've lost 14, bigger story, but 14 of our ambulances and 11 of the drivers of these ambulances were killed either by, by you know, being shot or, or by disabling the ambulance and then setting it on fire with them in it. And this leader's got tears in his eyes talking about that. Now here's where willingness is tested. The authority that he was in was the nation of Israel's authority. And he said to Tracy, he said, as soon as I heard that, he said, I heard myself saying, well, we'll replace those. See, he operates with a board. I don't know what 14 ambulances cost, but he had to go back and sell that to the people who actually can make that financial decision. Pardon me? Yeah, I was going to split it into two. 14 regular ambulances. And then the guy said, we only have one armored ambulance. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of an armored ambulance. I never have. And so again, he said the same thing. Before I could stop myself, he said, well, we'll we'll give you seven of those too. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Franklin is as common of a man as you... He doesn't know how to make ambulances. He only knows that God called him to do whatever he puts before him in the name of Jesus. That's all he does. Do it in the name of Jesus. He volunteered before he had approval from his other authorities. 
Because he was standing under the authority, he was willing in the land of Israel, under the other authority, to see the good that God was promising. Just happened to be through him. Are you tracking with me? Willingness is always tested in the laboratory of authority. If you miss this, you, honestly, you'll think you're so willing, but you're only willing in things you enjoy. And so if you're going to eat the good of the land, you're going to have to decide that whatever it is that God is calling you to do is good, enjoyable, fun. So if you think, well, he took all my friends away. I always wondered, having done jail and prison ministry for so many years, how one guy could be in jail for a crime that three or four people did, and the other three or four people, friends, would let them sit in there like that. They're not your friends. There are several dozen people. Now, I, I don't believe I've ever been in jail. I mean, on purpose, on the wrong side of the bars. But there are several people in this church that should that happen to me for some unknown reason, you'd be getting a phone call. Want to know why? Because I consider you my friend. I consider you my friend. See, willingness isn't tested in friendship. It's tested in authority. Keep chewing. I'll move on. So then it says you'll eat the, the, the good of the land. This is a picture that is all that is under God's authority. Now, if you believe that the devil is winning the war of light and darkness on the earth, then that war in your mind is not under the authority of God. If you believe darkness is winning, then the authority of the land is under darkness. Are we, are we, are we good? Are we together? Because some of you are looking at, man, you can't go there. Yes, I can. Willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. You must decide whose authority the land is under. Now, don't do a Gideon. I mean, I, Gideon is a great story, but this guy's got some serious, serious hoopsta or whatever. I mean, he's got some giddy up because an angel of the Lord showed up and said, you are a mighty man of valor. And he turns to the appearance of an angel sent by God and says, if God is so good, where are all his miracles? Now, I don't know what you would say to, a, to an angel, but if you spew out the bitterness that says my land has been covered with darkness, you understand that Israel was put in captivity by God. God sent nations, when they stopped worshiping him correctly, God sent nations to take them over. Their captivity was not of darkness, but rather of light. I know, see, some of you are going, well, yeah, but pastor, it's really dark out there. If you believe that darkness is winning, then what's under the authority of your God is not the God of heaven. You say, well, but the Bible says that, that he's the God of this world. Exactly. My citizenship is of heaven. I serve a different ruler. And we bring that authority with us into a land where Psalm 115, 16 or 116, 15, the numbers are right. They're just transposed. You can pick which one ever you want. It says that, that, that the Lord has given the earth unto the children of man. 
point is that if your authority is of darkness, you will submit to the darkness and you'll never test your willingness. Well, it's just darker, darker, and darker. The Bible says it's brighter and brighter till the noonday. Choose your authority. I'm telling you, you're going to be tested in this, in my estimation, as your pastor, you're going to be tested in this in the next calendar year. You better figure out in a real hurry where your authority comes from. Because if it's darker and darker in your world, and all you do is complain about the darkness... The God of this world has infected your mind. You have a cancer in your brain, in your, in your soulish brain, that is affecting how you process the land. Now, I didn't say in that that you'd get everything you want. I said that God gives good and perfect things and there's no shadow of turning. Should you please be looking for those things? Does that make sense? The land is defined as everything under God's dominion. Now, it's my opinion that everything's under God's dominion. But if you don't believe that, then you'll accept what the world says, that Christianity isn't any good and that it won't help you. And you'll accept the fact that it just gets more worse and worse and worse, more worser, until God rescues us. Well, I just tell you that I'm not on your team on that one. It's brighter and brighter till the noonday. God gives us an understanding of his great... The first introduction you have to Jesus says that Jesus is the light of men, and darkness does not comprehend it. Duh. It's, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. Who has authority in your perception of this world? Okay, now, I understand God of this world, all that kind of stuff, but, but do you understand that you were sent here as an ambassador, so your law system, your structure is heavenly, not earthly? Okay, the good of the land. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of James, chap James chapter 1. Let me just try and drive this home. I hope you're getting it. We're going slow on purpose. James chapter 1. I really want you to, to get it because I think the test is coming. So please understand again and just keep... It's really odd. Whenever we get to a place where it just takes a little while for everybody to grab a hold of the rope that you're pulling on and, and, and join, right? So if you can think of what happens in all of this spiritual revelation business is that we, we basically see the hand of God come out of heaven offering something to us. And what he's asking us to do is by faith grab a hold of that with him. That's the co-laborer part. But then when you teach something that people go, now, wait a minute, nobody's ever said this to us. And this is just too. And what happens is people are reluctant to grab a hold and pull. As a leader, oftentimes a leader can feel, for lack of a better way, spiritually sense. Not everybody's pulling. So you're not pulling that down out of hell. So, so when we get into a, a, a church service and, and there's music going on, we offer to pray for people. And, and you go, what are we supposed to do? Grab a hold of the rope. And pull. Pull that stuff that God, you pull it to you by faith. 
The belief in what hope offers. Faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, your God authority is wrong. Yes, Glenn, that was very good too. Are you tracking with me? If your authority is wrong, if you believe in the God of this world over the God of heaven, and you think it's darker, then it's very easy for you to lose hope. Because hope is in the good expectation, and you don't think it's going to get good. Now, I'm making up for that for you because I think it's going to get great. Study the Bible. Every time God manifests himself to someone, it's because he's given them an impossible assignment. Think about it. Think of Abraham. God shows up and says, count the stars. Okay, wait a minute. I'm like 110 years old or whatever he was, 90 years old and, and, or 70. It doesn't really make how, how old he is. The Bible makes it really clear that he and Sarah are past childbirthing age. And I will tell you, having my wife and being in that position to have a child at this point in our life is not right up there on the goodness level of God. Okay? You, you've got to accept God's goodness if you're 75 and 100 years old. And God says, oh, by the way, through you, every nation's going to be blessed. Now, that's a great prophecy until you have to think about it. And you go, wait, what? Me? And what's he having him do? Count the sand of the seashore and count the stars. Why? So shall your descendants be. He gave him an, an impossible assignment. And he showed up. Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He says, put your toes in the water. Go stand in the water. Do it in this order. And the water parts. You're thinking, man, that's a great party trick. How's he do that? Because every time he gives an impossible assignment, he shows up to accomplish it. You realize that with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. So he gives you impossible assignments. Take it down personally. Maybe you have something that you struggle with. God says, you're not going to struggle with that anymore. And you say, that's impossible. No, it's not. Because you see, if you eat of the good of the land, if you understand the good and perfect gift of, of, of the Father, then what you are is in line for a feast of his goodness. Or you can say, well, I don't know anybody who's ever been delivered from this. I've seen people with my own two eyes be drug addicts day one. On day two, they're completely clean and in their right mind. I pulled a hanger and God's instruction out of one of my children's eyes. He'd lay your hand on that and pray for that. I took it back and I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. It's impossible. But God shows up when the assignment is impossible. You've experienced that in every leader you've ever had. Because none of us know what we're doing. We don't. We don't have a clue. By the way, if you think you're an expert, you're likely to come and tell me that you're an expert. And when I tell you that the problem, the situation is maybe bigger than what you're thinking, right? I had a conversation with Jeremy this week. I said, we got to decide things because 
what God has given us gives, gives us the ability to do almost anything. But he doesn't give us the permission to do almost anything. He tests our willingness sometimes to say no. It's so much easier to say yes. But you see, he leads us and guides us because of a story that he's building that's bigger than us. I was standing in, in, in the area where we met Franklin Graham. And you all know Troy, Troy that comes, comes to our church here. He's from California. He grabs me, he's come over here, I need you to introduce you to this person. And so he introduces us to this guy, pastor from Firestone. And, you know, we have the niceties. How many kids do you have? What's the deal? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then he looks at us and he says, so at your age, and I think, what's he mean at my age? He says, well, he says, you're close to retirement or whatever he thought I should be. And, and, and he says, so just what do you do? Help me with the language he used, Tracy. Do you remember the, how he asked that? What do, you do, what do you do to maintain your soul? Is that what he said? I couldn't remember. He says, well, what do you do after so many years just to maintain your soul? How, 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 do, you, how do you do that? Tracy, Tracy's so gracious and she has this great spirit-filled answers, you know. And, and I don't think that way. I don't, I, don't, I don't think in terms of mercy. I know that that's a surprise to all of you, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's not always the, the, the leading spirit-led emotional thing that I do is, go, oh, yeah, let's have mercy. I would rather kick you than give you mercy. Because most of you need a swift kick. You say, how do you know that? Because you're living short of what God promised you. You say, but yeah, but don't you feel sorry for me? Not that way. If I told you right outside the door of your spiritual existence, right over here, if you could just open that door, is the fullness of the best of what God has. Would you want to open that door? What's behind door number one, Johnny? I would want to open that door. And so anyway, he, he, Tracy gave a great answer. He's, he's locked in. He turns to me. He says, what about you, Pastor? And I said, I guess I just realized that, that the purpose that God has me in is always bigger than me. And he just looked at me like that. And I thought, that was a great answer. <laughs> the purpose of God's calling dwarfs who I am as a person. I don't have any options in this. Either you trust Right? If the plan of God doesn't just scare the bejesus out of you sometimes, like, really? You want us to do that? You want us to trust you in that way? Yeah, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. You have to believe God's word. His purpose for you as an individual is always bigger than what you can do. Think of the, again, think of the stories. God came to Moses. What did Moses do? I can't do this. Came to Abraham, in the other order. Came to Abraham, then he came to Moses, but you get it. And, and he, he said to Abraham, and Abraham said, how can this be if I'm this old? My wife passed child. He gave them an impossible, impossible assignment. Jesus sits the people down. He says, tell the people to sit in groups of 50 and give them something to eat. He says, the disciples said, how can we do that? We don't even have enough money for, for just a little bit. 200 denarii wouldn't even come close. He says, what do you have? He gave them an impossible assignment. It changed the nature. Remember the story of Gideon? 
God says, get an army together, gives him 30,000 people. And then God says, ask everybody that's scared to go home. 22,000 people or something like that leave. He's down to 10. So 32,000, 22,000 people leave, 10,000 people left. Does this sound like a good plan to win a victory? Then he says, tell them all to get a drink. And so they go down to this, this brook or whatever, you know, thousands of them. And 300 of them pick up water in the cup of their hand and pull it up to their mouth. He says, that's your army. Okay, God, great idea. 30,000 to 300, that's your army. And then he says, I love this. This is, this is Judges 8, somewhere in the first five verses, maybe. You can read the whole chapter, won't hurt you. God asks him, he says, are you still scared? <laughs> when you said that the scaredy cats should go home, I wanted to be in that group. But leaders never, give that, never get that option. You don't get to go home because you're scared. Because everybody is depending on you. And so he says yes. And God says, go to the enemy's camp. Now, just slow down for a second. You took my army from 32,000 to 300. I'm still scared. I wish I could have gone home with the first group. I can't believe that we have to have the people who drink water from the cup of their hand. What kind of a test is that? <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. Way to go, God. And then you ask me if I'm scared, and you send me to the enemy's camp. And somehow, magically, he walks into the enemy's camp, stands by a tent, and one guy is talking to another guy. And he has this dream. And the guy, he tells what the dream is, and the guy sitting next to him says, and so Gideon's outside the tent listening to this. Did you know this existed? Okay, Gideon's outside the tent listening, and the interpreter of that guy's dream says, that is none other than Gideon. The enemies believed in who God said Gideon was before Gideon believed in who God said he was. You understand that willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. He didn't, he didn't go, yeah, that's right. I am a mighty man of valor. God, I'm glad you finally figured that one out. I am awesome. It's tested in the, willingness is tested in the laboratory of, 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 of authority. How can you go to the enemy's camp and find this out? Okay, here you go. Are you ready? Just as verse James, James number one, verse number 17. Are you learning yet? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Okay, let's just take it apart. Every good gift, what's he talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, he's talking about desirability for enjoyment. He's talking about the state of spiritual blessing. In the New Testament, it means excellent. It means distinguished. It means the best. And it means in, the best in response or respect to operation or influence. He said everything that operationally is good and influences how things turn out, that's what he's, 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 he's pouring out. Every good bit of influence is from him. Notice he says perfect. It literally means complete in purpose. Whenever God pours something, see this is, this is why the Gideon story is important, or it is why it's important for me. Every time that God does something like this and he says, hey, this is perfect, he's describing how he sees it. 
and how He sees you in relationship to it. Did you know that you are perfectly fit for your family? Those of you parents who struggle to parent sometimes, you go, dear God, I hope I can keep these kids alive. I'm thinking about killing them. Right? Because they're just, it's really hard because God built into them a willingness to test authority. They'll test yours. Our job is to teach them how to understand in that willingness that is tested in the laboratory of authority. Does that make sense? And so that perfect thing, he says, you are perfect, complete in purpose. You're finished, wanting nothing. You're perfect for this. God always sees you that way and then fixes what's wrong with you. He didn't wait for Moses to get it. He didn't wait for Abraham to get it. He didn't wait for David to get it. I mean, David was a teenager. And Samuel, some, you know, scruffy old prophet guy with a five-gallon bucket of oil. He wants to dump it on somebody. Gets all David's brothers up there. That's, nope, that's not him. That's not him. Do you have any more? Well, I just have the youngest. We left him watching the sheep. We'll bring him here. He's the one. He's the one. Elisha carried Elijah's bags for around 10 years. After God said, hey, Elijah, you're all done. You go do this. And, you know, this guy's going to be king and this guy's going to be prophet. And your place took 10 years for that to happen. He saw all of those people as perfect before they realized it. Come on, turn with me a little bit. Whatever situation you're in that you're not qualified for, that you can't see your way out, God's already declared to the spirit world, you're perfect for this battle. Perfect. You say, I don't believe it. Exactly. Change your God. In that situation, you believe in darkness. My kids are never going to make it. Yeah, they will. You may not like the road occasionally. My family, when we were raising our children, they hated when these words came out of my mouth. Do you want to take a shortcut? Because I was pretty sure that as long as I kept going in the general direction, that we would get there. And so we'd... I mean, coming from Imperial, Nebraska to, to where Tracy's parents lived out in the middle of nowhere by Beecher Island, I would just turn and go south. And when the road dead end, I'd turn and go west because it was southwest to their house. And the first time that I could turn south again, I'd turn south. And occasionally we got there. But it wasn't shorter, right? Sometimes what I'm trying to get you to see is sometimes your children's willingness are actually poisoned by your actions. Because you're perfect for raising your children. Uh, you know, I might just stay right here until somebody says amen. <laughs> you want me to move on? You're perfect for your spouse. You're a perfect member of this church. 
there are perfect members of this church who don't realize they're supposed to be here yet. But God's already figured it out. And I know you all look at me, yeah, the church needs to grow, Pastor. It is not my responsibility to grow the church. Get a different God. You say, well, you should, you should preach better. I can't. Come on. The only way you see my preaching as being better is if I preach what you want me to preach in a way you want me to preach it. So that you can convince the people that you hope are listening because you've already tried to change them with your manipulation. I knew you'd love it. Notice he says every perfect and good gift, that's in verse 17. Do you see in verse 16 it says, do not be deceived? You might want to underline that in your Bible. Do not be deceived, my brother, beloved, every good and perfect. If it's not good and perfect, the problem is not the gift, but your deception. Don't you love that? Do you see it? Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift. If your gift isn't good, it's not because God isn't giving out good gifts. It's because you're deceived. Don't you dare leave this church today. Go, well, that wasn't very good today. It was perfect. It was good. Thank you, brother, for the back row. <laughs> it was good and perfect. Your perception is your responsibility. Well, I didn't, I didn't like that. Well, the fact that you didn't like what I had to say meant you weren't listening to God. You were listening to me. Jeez, I'm a mistake looking for a place to happen. God's perfect. He's pouring out perfect gifts for you. Notice it says in 17, a good and perfect gift. <laughs> this is not the word you think it is. It's not the, as a result of grace gift. It's as a result of the gift given. As a result, it's not by grace. It's actually a different word. It's the concrete character of the giver. And he says, every good and perfect thing that God does that's a result of his giving. Where does it say God gives? God so loved the world that he gave, gave what? His only begotten son. You'll only find what this verse describes in the person of Jesus Christ, not in the person of your desires. Man, one minute and this class is over. Praise God, some of you are already rejoicing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your good and perfect gift does not come from your desires. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't do it, or you don't know that he did it, how can you expect for him to be the giver of that gift? What do you think? <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, how be it, this is King James, he says, how be it, he became poor so that we might be rich. Did you know he came to give you that gift? But if the gift, if you think the gift is money, you've missed it. See, your interpretation is wrong because you, you, you left spiritual giving like this and went out here like this and said, I need a sack of money. It's not just about the money, right? Amen. Notice what else it says. He says there's no shadow 
of, or no variation or shadow of turning. He actually contrasts the light. Here's what legalism does. Legalism says, if you don't do it this way, it won't work. That's a variation. That's a shadow. If you don't come to our church, you can't possibly be saved. That's a variation or that's a shadow. You do not need a church to be saved. You need the person of Jesus to be saved. And you don't have to walk down the aisle and say the spiritual, four spiritual laws, although they won't hurt you. But if you do it in response to faith in that, in that vehicle, well, I walked the aisle at that church. Well, congratulations. But I'll guarantee you I've met people who have walked the aisles of churches for 50 plus years and not been saved. You say, how do you know that? Because I had one in my last church. I had a 50-year Sunday school pin. Went to Sunday school for 50 years at the same church. And when I gave an altar call, he stood in the line. He, I said, what, Virgil, his name was Virgil. He'd gone on to be with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving him or he'd have missed out on that. I said, Virgil, what are you doing? He said, I've never done that. I said, you've never done what? He said, I never confessed Jesus. I went, really? You spent 50 years in Sunday school and nobody taught you how to get saved? <laughs> he was sure he wasn't saved. Now, you understand, we don't get to sit on that throne. So I just followed his lead because I'm walking with him. And so I took his hands like this and I said, Virgil, do you know you're a sinner? He said, yes, I can't even get past all of it. I said, but Jesus can do it for you because he was a sacrifice for you. That's the perfect gift. You don't have to do it. Jesus does it for you. You say, oh, it's too simple, Pastor. Exactly, because see, you want complicated because somehow complicated seems more spiritual. Simple. Jesus came. He was the Word personified, incarnate. He's the perfect picture of God. And He came to die for you. I don't know what more you need. You say, well, what about all the other stuff? It's in Him. 28 times in the epistles, it says, in Him, and then it gives something. I think it's 28. Paul's writing, 28 times, in Him. Amen. Next week, for sure, we are going to spend our time in Romans 8. Did you get the point today? Willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. Be careful as you go through the next few weeks, because if you heard that, God's likely going to give you the test. And you never fail God's test. You just get to keep taking it until you pass. All right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for teaching us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.